So I'm going to shift a little bit now to another pope, and that is our present pope. As now we reflect on the Eucharist as uh, as real future. The Eucharist, real future, the place from which we're sent. I don't know if you know this, but um, but the word mass comes from a Latin word, missio. My Hispanic brothers and sisters would know that well, because in Spanish they call the mass misa, la misa. Misia, which means mission. And, and mission is connected then to the, the celebration of the Eucharist. In fact, a mass is ascending, a mission. As Bishop Brennan said as we were on the radio, the last words of mass are the last words of Jesus on the planet. And it was very simple. It was go. Now, it wasn't go to breakfast. <laughs> there was a priest in Cleveland who uh, I thought was really funny. He said that his favorite scripture passage was, come have breakfast, which is in the Gospel of John, actually. So it is go. Like, don't, don't stick around here. Don't stick around here. Go. And that's what they did, didn't they? In fact, because they did that, we're here this morning. If not, we'd be someplace else. And all those who followed them from that moment of the ascension, go. Don't, don't stay here. Don't stay here. That was a paradigm shift, right, for them? Because most of the time, Jesus was saying, come and see. Come and follow me. Come, 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 come. And now he's saying, go, 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 go. Right? You feel like saying, Lord, make up your mind. Come or go. And he's going to say, well, kind of both. One will actually take you to the other. And so the fruit and the consequence of the real presence of the Eucharist is mission. It's not about just you and Jesus. And that you and I receive Jesus and we go into our little corner and we pray and we talk to him and it's this little private moment between him and I and, and this is great and and, and then, and then I just, then I go to breakfast. I go down the, uh, the Jersey Shore in the, in the summer, and as I did a few weeks ago, and I, and oftentimes I go to daily mass, and right across the street there's a bakery. And everybody goes from the Eucharistic table to the Eucharistic bakery. <laughs> They make a beeline, and everybody that just went to the table. It's, it's more than that. He didn't say go to the bakery. He said go on mission now. And that mass that you go to every Sunday at 10 o'clock, it's actually ascending. So you're actually going to the 10 o'clock sending. 
Imagine if we changed the word, right, and not called it Mass. But said, well, at, at St. Joe's we have five sendings on the weekend. That will, that will shake things up a little bit, right? Sending. A consequence, and at the same time a fruit, of the real presence is mission. Because we're actually called to imitate the very mystery we celebrate. My brother priests have heard that before, right? The day of our ordination, we were told, imitate the mystery you celebrate. Imitate the mystery you celebrate. Don't just celebrate it. Imitate it. Become that. We are thus sent. We're told to go. As we just celebrated the Eucharistic presence, the real presence, then we're told to go. To share what we have received and become what we have received. Bread that's broken and blood that's poured. We are sent to become sharers of that good news of Jesus Christ. So that the world may come to know the Lord through us. We're called to become good news ourselves and bearers of that good news. And that's an interesting question for us to ask ourselves. What type of news are we? Imagine. What type of news are we? We often know about other people, right? We're really good about identifying whether other people are good news or bad news. We're good about that, right? And we all have our lists, don't we? We have people on our list that are really good news. And when they show up at your family function or in your church meeting, when as soon as they walk in through the door, your heart jumps and says, oh, look who's here. And people like that who are really good news, you see them. They walk through the door and people begin to gravitate towards them. Because good news begets good news, right? And then we have the other list. And I'm going to give you a 30 seconds to think about who's on the other list. <laughs> right? And those that are on the other list, well, that's a different story, right? Because when they show up on the scene and they come in through the door, people won't say it because we're so prim and proper and politically correct. But inside, we're thinking it. We're saying, oh, brother, God, look who showed up now. There goes the party. And you watch, if you're watching from a distance, you watch how people kind of like move away. Ever so subtly, ever so kindly, but they get out of dodge. So what type of news are you? Maybe you should ask the people you live with because they know best, right? Right? So, so ask your husbands and wives. Ask your kids. Sisters, ask the nuns you live with. What type of news am I? Because we're actually called to be good, good news.
This Eucharistic evangelizing mission strives towards a future uh, for us and for others. It's not just about us. We oftentimes want to make it about us. But it's not just about us. It's about the people that we hand the gift on to. Parents understand that, right? Moms and dads, you understand that. Because most of your, what you do, most of what you do is about your kids. It's about your kids. And at different moments and at different, it changes because change, change is change, right? You can't stop change. Don't stop it. You, you're not going to be successful, right? So one thing was your kid when they were five. Another thing is your kid when they're 15, And now you're riding around all over the place, taking them here and there and picking them up and dropping them off. And and, and you go through ups and downs with that. You get all mad at times because you tell tell the kid, I'll pick you up at 11. And he says, no, 1230. And you say, absolutely not. And then you pick him up at 1230. Right? And then you're in your car. And you're saying, this will never happen again. I'm done. And you know what you're doing next Friday night? You're picking them up at one in the morning. And you know what? They have your number. Because you know that it's not about you. And so as you embark on this initiative, and the Lord will unfold what he wants at the end, just know. It's not just about you. It's about those that you will hand off the gift that was given to you. Right? It's about the people that you, that you represent now that were here a hundred years ago. You don't even know who they are. In some of your churches, they're like names on plaques. And stained glass on the bottom, in memory of. I don't know what's on those things, but it looks like that's what that is too, over on that wall. Names, that's all they are. But man, they gave you the gift you celebrate now. Because they knew it wasn't about them. They didn't even know you. But they knew it was about you. So what does Pope Francis say? Well, if you haven't read it yet, I would invite you to read uh, his apostolic letter, The Joy of the Gospel. You could do it for free. You don't have to buy it anywhere. Just type Google The Joy of the Gospel and it will magically appear in front of you. You could do it right now on your mobile phone for free. If you want to understand where the Spirit is guiding the church... For the next 50 years to 100 years, it's there. It's in that document. It's in that letter that he wrote to the the world and to the church. And he speaks about how evangelizing is delightful and and comforting. It's a joy that is delightful and comforting. This is what he says. He says, goodness always tends to spread. 
Every authentic experience of truth and goodness seeks by its very nature to grow within us, and any person who has experienced a profound liberation becomes more sensitive to the needs of others. He cites Paul, who says that the love of Christ urges us on. Who says, woe to me if I did not proclaim the gospel. Woe to me. Mission, the gospel, offers you and I the chance, Pope Francis says, to live life on a higher plane. Life grows, he says, by being given away. The gift that you have received is actually meant to be given away. That is the difference between divine gifts and human gifts. Human gifts, we're not really supposed to give them away. And we'll say that. So if someone gives you a gift and I come along and say, listen, can I have that? You're going to say, I really can't do that. It was a gift. Even though secretly we actually do do it. It's called regifting. We even have a word. Now, let's see how honest you are. All those who have regifted gifts, raise your hand. Wow. They're honest. Now, tell me who you regifted it to. <laughs> gifts, human gifts are not really supposed to be given away. But divine gifts are. And the, and the more you give the divine gifts away, the more powerful and more transformative they become in you. Only to be given away. It's sort of like the gift of music, right? It's a gift. But it only becomes more powerful as they give the gift, give the gift away. And so, John Paul II calls you and I, he says, let us recover and deepen our enthusiasm, that delightful and comforting joy of evangelizing, of mission, even when it is in the midst of tears that we must sow. And may, and, and may the world of our time, which is searching, he says, sometimes in anguish, sometimes with hope, be enabled to receive the good news not from evangelizers who are dejected and discouraged and impatient and anxious, but from ministers of the gospel whose lives glow with fervor, who have first received the joy of Christ. He's so right. You're not going to be evangelizers. You're, gonna, you're, not, gonna, you're not going to carve a real future if you go around dejected, discouraged, impatient, and anxious, you're not going to be good news. You're going to be the person or the community or the group that walks through the door and everybody says, oh, there they come. There they come. Taking out their violins, right? You know what this is, right? 
the world's smallest violin. We spend a lot of time playing that violin, you know. But, but that, that's not attractive to the good news, actually. And so what is, um, what, what is that the Lord called the apostles on that last day on the planet? John, Pope Francis says evangelization takes place in obedience to the missionary mandate. It is the theme of this whole gathering. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them. Teach them to observe the things I've commanded you. And as you go, know that I'm with you. There he is, his promise. He didn't give him a manual. He didn't give him like a CD with everything you need to do. He didn't give him a program. He didn't do any of that. He didn't give him a strategic plan. He didn't give him anything. And these guys did not have, you know, Facebook, Instagram, chat, snap, and all that type of stuff. He didn't have any of that. They had nothing. But they had heart. They had passion. And they were docile. And so for, for Pope Francis, in the joy of the gospel, real presence and real future are connected. He puts it this way. The church's closeness to Jesus is part of a common journey. Communion and mission are profoundly interconnected. Communion and mission are profoundly interconnected. And so he bridges two words, and he makes them both of these words two sides of the same coin. We're used to these words. Missionary and disciple. Discipleship. We've talked about those words a lot. Separate one from the other. So when I was a kid, uh, there would be missionaries, right, that would come and visit. And they would introduce sister or father and say, here's sister or father so-and-so. They are missionaries. What did I understand that to be? That they were like in India or China or Africa. What it meant to me is they're not here. But Francis talks differently. He, he brings together these two concepts of mission and discipleship. And he, and he says you can't be one without the other. We all knew about discipleship. About following the Lord and following, you know, being, following his discipline, his teachings. We knew about that. Francis comes along and says, if you're going to be a disciple, you have to be a missionary. And if you're going to be a missionary, you have to be a disciple. And then what does he understand the church to be then? He says the church is then a community of missionary disciples. That at every single moment strive to build a real future. That's rooted in a real presence. And then he describes what this community is. What does it look like? 
It's actually paragraph 24 of the joy of the gospel. He says, the church which goes forth is a community of missionary disciples. We're in the middle right now of a paradigm shift because we've created churches, parishes, that I think are a little bit enclosed on themselves. I often describe actually the parish, having been a pastor, I was a pastor myself of two different parishes for 12 years. So I've been there, I've walked that walk. And a parish many times is actually a series of concentric circles. At the very center of that circle usually is the pastor and a small group of people. I mean really small. It could be two, three, four, five people at the max. Sometimes those are the people that call the pastor Bob. And and that little group, that little core of somewhere between two, three, four, five people, very small, they are the ones that actually plan what that community is going to do or not do. Around that little circle that's very tight and it is hard to get into. I mean really hard. Jesus can't get in there sometimes. Right? It is hard. Around that group, then there are the worker bees. That's a little bigger. That might be maybe 20, 30 people. They're the ones that implement what this little group in the center decide. They have the worker bees. Then you have the people that attend the things, the stuff, that the little group in the center does and the worker bees execute. There are people who attend. If you have a parish of about 3,000 families, that might might be 200 people. And we all complain about it a little bit. You know, it's always the same people. That's because they are. You're very observant. (laughs) You're very observant. You got 2020. Yeah, that's because they actually are. It's the same two to 300 people that come to everything and anything. Matthew Kiley calls it the 7%, right? You're part of that group, I have to tell you. So am I. Then around it are the people that go to church. They come to Sunday Mass. So in my parish, we had about 4,000 families, my last parish. We had two to 300 people that came to the stuff and um, and about 2,700 people that came to church on Sunday. That was another circle. Most of the people that came to church on Sunday, they came and walked out. They went to breakfast. Right? They, they, they just, they got their, they got their mass in and they, and they left. Then there was uh, everybody that was kind of registered in that parish. This American phenomenon of registration, right? That doesn't exist in any other part of the world. We created it, right? 
In most of the world, membership in the church is called a sacrament. It's called baptism. It's not registration. Yeah. I had a pastor who called me and says, listen, the people next door, the young woman, you know, she OD'd and, and she wants, they want you to celebrate the, the funeral, but I don't know if I'm going to make it, I'm going to allow it. And, and, uh, and I said, uh, why is that, Father? He says, well, she wasn't registered. And I said, well, Father, I just thought she had to be dead. <laughs> registered? What does that have to do with anything? But there are our registration, right? Our database. The apostles had no database, but we have a database. And if, if you're 4,000 families, you know, uh, times four, let's say, that's 16,000 people, of which 2,700 came to church, of which 250 went to everything else, and then the worker bees are 30 or 40. So when people talked about the parish of St. Agnes, who were they referring to? They were actually referring to the people that came to everything, which is actually a small group. And then you have humanity, right? Because it's everybody that lives in that parish territory. So when I was named a pastor, I wasn't told, you have care souls of Catholics who are registered, contributing, and attending Mass on Sunday. That's not what I was told. I was told, you have care of souls, period. That means Every soul. Every soul. And to them, we're called to be missionary disciples. And so the paradigm shift that's happening in the world and the church today is that our parishes have to become parishes on the way. Parishes that face outward, not inward. Not held hostage at times to a spirit of self-absorption. But actually, and you want to know what your parish is, what they are? Look at the agendas of the staff meetings and of your meetings. You'll know then. You'll know. Based on what you talk about. Francis wants you and I to talk about being missionary disciples. And then he's going to define, he's going to describe what that is. He says that a community of missionary disciples is one that takes the first step, that takes initiative, doesn't wait, doesn't wait. I've had sometimes the uh, tough and sad and frustrating situation of standing before a thousand people in church and says, we need catechists to teach our little children. Is there anybody that's willing? And everybody goes like this. As if I'm not seeing that, you know? And I says, boy, that was a bomb. That's why Jesus didn't ask for volunteers. Jesus didn't call volunteers. We really shouldn't even use that word. It's not in the scriptures. It's not in the words of Christ. He did not call for volunteers. Volunteers basically do great things if it serves a certain purpose for them. And once that purpose is not there, then they're out. So here's the difference between a volunteer and a disciple. So it's, it's Saturday morning and you're, and you're a catechist. And an hour and a half, you have to go do your class with your young folks. And the, and the, door, and the, and the door rings or knocks and it's 
family members that you haven't seen in 30 years. And they're in town. The volunteer calls the parish, the DRE or whoever, and says, listen, something came up. I can't go today. I just had unexpected guests show up and, uh, and I can't be there. I didn't plan it. The disciple says, make yourself at home. I will be back in two hours. That's the difference between a volunteer and a disciple. And Jesus didn't call a volunteer. In fact, he didn't set up a booth and say, sign up. Right? He actually went to individuals and said, come and follow me. Where? Don't worry about it. Come and see. (laughs) Come and see. Come and see. Sometimes he called them out of places where they shouldn't have been in the first place. You know, there's a little word, that phrase that goes around a lot today. We have to meet people where they are. You ever heard that phrase? It's, they should put, we're going to have them in banners soon. We have to meet people where they are. Of course you've got to meet them where they are. Where else are you going to meet them? <laughs> where they're not? <laughs> of course he met Matthew where he was. Robbing people blind at his table. He met him where he was. That's, that's where he was. He wasn't going to meet him any place else. But he didn't sit down next to him. Actually, what he said in Matthew, come and follow him. And by the way, Matthew, you need, to, you need to leave the table. It's not a good place for you to be. Come and, and, and leave, the, leave that. Jesus takes the initiative. So the community of disciples, missionary disciples, knows that it has to take the first step. You want to build a real future? Then you got to take the step. It's not going to be taken for you. Takes initiative. Is involved. The community of missionary disciples, Francis says, is involved. He says the Lord gets involved. He involves himself. He kneels himself to wash the feet of the disciples. He didn't say to Andrew, listen, uh, can you wash the feet of uh, these guys? They're dirty. He did it himself. He is supportive. The community of missionary disciples is supportive. Accompanies. Francis says, an evangelizing community is also supportive. Standing by people at every step of the way, no matter how difficult or lengthy this may prove to be. It is familiar. This community of missionary disciples is familiar with patient expectation and apostolic endurance. Community of missionary disciples is concerned with bearing fruit. It wants to be successful. It really wants to be successful. Francis says, it cares for the grain and does not grow impatient at the weeds. In other words, life isn't perfect. So you got to roll with it. 
The sower, when he sees weeds sprouting among the grain, does not grumble or overreact. He or she finds a way to let the word take flesh in a particular situation and bear fruits of new life. However imperfect and incomplete these may appear to be. Finally, he says that the community of missionary disciples that looks to a real future is joyful. Because he knows, right? Pope Francis knows, as you and I know. People who are commungeons don't attract many people. When I was a, a younger priest, because I'm still young, going around doing communion calls. They were kind of interesting because I remember one lady that I loved to visit. I would go in. She had a lot of stuff going wrong with her and stuff, but she never talked about that. She always talked about, how are you? And she's better than I deserve. I've lived a blessed life. I have my challenges, but I've been so blessed. I could spend an hour with that lady. There was another lady that was the opposite, and her husband. And I would sit there, and they would tell me everything that was wrong with the world, and with the church, and with the neighbors, and with me. (laughs) And I would sit there, not for an hour. In fact, I would want to say, here, Jesus, you deal with her. (laughs) You deal with her. It, it wasn't, it was like, it was a downer. I left there with energy depleted. In Pope Francis's words, finally an evangelizing community is filled with joy. It knows how to rejoice always. It celebrates every small victory, every step forward, in the work of evangelization. Evangelization with joy becomes beauty. Beauty in the liturgy. As part of our daily concern to spread the gospel. Joy. And let me finish with some words of Pope Francis at a Corpus Christi homily in 2014. He quotes St. Augustine, whose feast we celebrate today in the church. He says, if I receive the bread, I will become the bread. If I receive the Lord, I will become like him. So let us ask ourselves, he says, in adoring Christ, who is really present in the Eucharist, do I let myself be transformed by him? Do I let the Lord who gives himself to me guide me to going out evermore from my little enclosure in order to give, to share, to love him and others. He finishes saying, brothers and sisters, following communion and sharing, let us pray that participation in the Eucharist may always be an incentive to follow the Lord every day, 
to be instruments of communion and to share what we are with him, with our neighbor. Our life will then be truly fruitful. God bless you.